Hi, this is Albert. And this is Luke. Today is Monday, the 22nd of March. Welcome to the Telescope Investing Podcast. Albert, you know, there were three or four companies that made it from the 2020 model portfolio into the 2021 model portfolio. And one of those that I've got really high conviction on is a company called Teladoc Health. We thought today we'd give a rundown of why we think Teladoc Health is a good investment. We've both got existing Teladoc Health positions. My position is quite a bit smaller than it was after recent drops. So I have been thinking about whether it's time to top this up. Yeah, I also have a position in Teladoc Health. I started investing in November last year and currently it's about 1% of my portfolio. I'm currently around 3.5%, but also feeling potentially a bit underweight. Really keen to do today's deep dive into Teladoc and figure out whether this is worth additional investing money. But before we do that, Luke, we received an email from one of our listeners, Andreas from Norway. Getting a lot of those Norwegian emails. Andreas said, a subject he'd like to hear us talk about is when to invest. We've talked about it sometimes, but not that deep. For example, Andreas says, he invested in the model portfolio across February and March, and everything went pretty red. Andreas, we feel the pain on that one. Both of our portfolios are also in the red right now. Yeah, some days I don't even want to look. So what do we think about Andreas's question? How do we know when it's time to invest? Well, how does anyone know when the best time to invest is? The answer is, they don't. I guess, in general, I would say that we don't try to time the market. Sometimes the market will give you opportunities to buy good companies at low prices. And sometimes the market feels overpriced. And how do you know which is which? One way is to ignore that and just invest regularly. Maybe when the market's high, you might buy a little less. And when it's low, you might buy a bit more. But we try to invest regularly in the companies that we believe in. I intend to hold these companies for years to come. And I try not to worry about these short-term price movements. We've said it before. We're buying companies. We're not buying stock tickers. And when the valuation fluctuates wildly, as it is, at the moment. That doesn't change the underlying thesis. If you're worried about an investment and you're maybe thinking about reducing or selling it, go look at how the company's executing. Go look at their reports. Go look at their quarterly results. If they're still on track, if your thesis is sound and they're a good quality investment, there's really no reason to be materially concerned about where the price is from one day to the next. That's not to say that valuation is not important. It is important. It shouldn't be the overriding factor in your investing decisions, especially when it comes to whether you should sell or hold. What's the point of selling a stock that's just gone down when you just only held it for a few months. Exactly. That's trading, not investing. I think I made a pithy little tweet on this last week. In the PE ratio, price to earnings ratio, too many investors focus on the P when they should be thinking about the E. It's easy to get focused on the price. Is my stock up or down from yesterday? But the more important thing is the earnings. Is the company performing? Are they continuing to grow revenues and grow their customers? So in short, we recommend investing regularly and taking advantage of dollar cost averaging. My portfolio is down a couple of percent year to date doesn't bother me I've got some cash on the sidelines and this has given me opportunities to reinvest that at better value points. And if my portfolio continues to go down, then bring it on. I'm looking five, 10 years out. Hopefully that has answered your question, Andreas. Thanks again for the email. Andreas, really interesting to hear that you've got your own version of the model portfolio in your portfolio. Albert and I are super invested in these 15 stocks too. It's coming up to the end of the first quarter. So we're going to do a broad review of the whole model portfolio, probably in our episode in two weeks time when we can look at where the numbers got to at the end of March. So moving on to our main topic, Luke, the topic of Teladoc Health. Let's start off by explaining what Teladoc Health actually do. I think the core company could best be summarized as Doctors on Zoom. Teladoc Health are the US's oldest and largest telehealth provider. It's worth noting that Teladoc doesn't actually use Zoom. They have their own video conferencing platform, but it's interesting that you use the word Zoom because now that is used for all video conferencing. It's great when 
when one of your investments turns into a verb. I wonder if Teladoc becomes a verb one day. Did you Teladoc yesterday? I think that has already started happening. I think when people say they've used Teladoc, they actually mean any telehealth service. Pretty cool if they can get that status for their brand. Well, the company was founded quite a long time ago in 2002, and they IPO'd in July 2015. And since then, they've gone up around 10 times. It was actually significantly higher. They've taken quite a beating in this recent downturn. But even with that beating, increasing 10 times in five and a half years is a great return. We should touch on their key acquisition that's driven a lot of the growth and really is the fundamental part of our investment thesis. Teladoc merged with a company called Livongo Health last year. Livongo are all about providing continuous monitoring of health using wearables to manage chronic conditions like diabetes and hypertension. They're in the sector of what some people call digital therapeutics, which is the use of data to improve health outcomes. So Livongo Health, they use connected devices in combination with human coaches to help patients manage their chronic conditions, such as diabetes and hypertension. What does this mean in reality? You're wearing your Apple Watch, maybe you've got a Withings Smart Scale, maybe you've got an internet connected blood pressure monitor. And perhaps if you've got diabetes, you might have a Dexcom to do continuous glucose blood monitoring. Well, all of this data is getting uploaded to the cloud. And by plugging it into the Livongo ecosystem, Livongo can be aggregating all these different statistics and drawing insights about whether you're on track to prevent more serious conditions from worsening. Livongo is using AI to analyze this data and provide coaching cues and also health reports and even sometimes they would refer patients to healthcare providers based on that health data and the more data they get the better that AI will become. This is right slap bang in our mega trend of healthcare but also the subtrends of telehealth remote monitoring and what we just said digital therapeutics. And all this is enabled by AI and cloud computing. All these technologies have come along at the same time and together they're converging on really making substantial differences at a population scale in terms of health. Actually the use of telehealth has been increasing over the past 10 years. But as you can imagine, the pandemic last year really accelerated the use of telehealth when you don't have to go and visit a doctor physically. It makes a lot of sense to do it virtually. Yeah, Katrina had an interesting experience just a few weeks ago. She had a minor health condition she wanted to get a doctor to take a look at. She was concerned about having to make an appointment at the local surgery and then potentially queue up and hang out in their waiting room, perhaps catch COVID from another patient. I suggested she just go and check in with her private medical to see what they offered. And literally 20 20 minutes later, she had a telehealth appointment scheduled. I don't know if it was Teladoc providing that. It's a, definitely a growing sector. Well, that really illustrates some of the benefits of telehealth, which is convenient. It saves a lot of time. It's safer. You don't have to interact with other patients. It also usually costs less. Actually, I heard that for Teladoc, the average response time is around 10 minutes to see a doctor. That's really impressive. Very responsive. When you think about it, you know, many conditions don't actually require an in-person visit. And with telehealth, you can just as easily see a doctor in a different city or even a different country, which is useful for people who are abroad at the time. I agree, but I'm so focused on this preventative angle through wearables. I really think that's the future in terms of being able to prevent conditions from worsening. And one of the reasons for this is that wearables are getting more and more sophisticated. You mentioned Dexcom before, Luke, and Dexcom makes a device that can continuously monitor your blood glucose, which can be really useful for diabetic patients. Yeah, apparently the average diabetic patient used to have to take a finger prick blood test two or three times a day and and Dexcom's technology completely eliminates that. You wear a sensor on your arm, I think, and then it connects up to other devices and it's able to continuously monitor your blood glucose without having to stab yourself multiple times. 
One of my colleagues has had one of these devices for a couple of years, and she said it changed her life in terms of convenience. But it's not just specialized devices like Dexcom, but also consumer devices like smartwatches. For example, the Apple Watch can now do an electrocardiogram, and it added a blood oxygen sensor last year. And it's rumored that this year's model will include a blood glucose sensor. That's pretty cool. I hadn't heard that. This is definitely a field where Apple are innovating really well. It's pretty impressive stuff. I'm so locked into the Android ecosystem now, but even I'm thinking maybe I should get myself an Apple Watch. Actually, I was considering getting one as well, just for the health monitoring. Well, maybe that needs to go in both of my parents' Christmas stockings this year. Albert, I listened to an interesting podcast by ARK Invest last week, and they did a segment on healthcare, and their main speaker was really interesting. She talked about how the nature of medicine has changed substantially in the last hundred years. Medicine used to be about specific conditions that had a start and an end, maybe like a surgery or a specific illness. But as we're increasingly living longer, medicine's becoming dominated by chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease that just need lifetime management. I think one of the reasons for this is people in general are living longer and these chronic conditions take time to develop. That's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. People are living longer, but their health is deteriorating. And these conditions are incredibly expensive to treat at scale. The US has got the highest per capita spend in the world at $9,000 per person per year. That's 9,000 bucks for every healthy person as well as the sick ones. It adds up to 14% of US GDP, and that doesn't even count private medical costs. And one of the benefits of Teladoc Health is to reduce costs for all the customers. Well, Albert, Teladoc Health is slap bang in the sights of many of the key megatrends that we're tracking. So we're going to turn the telescope lenses on this in detail in today's episode. But before we get into it, I'm quite intrigued. What's your plan for having a longer, healthier life? I guess the plan is to do what's recommended, which is eat healthily, exercise regularly, don't smoke, and drink alcohol responsibly. And I think I'm doing all those things. But I do remember a specific moment of my life around eight years ago. I remember this time when I literally got out of breath, climbing a flight of stairs on the way to work. I'm not that old. It wasn't a very long flight of stairs. And I realized at that point that my physical health was terrible. And I decided to start exercising and become fitter. And at the time, I couldn't run for more than two minutes without getting out of breath. And over the next few years, I basically trained myself up to run half a marathon. Yeah, that was a great effort. You started with your couch to 5k. I remember a Hong Kong visit where you nearly killed me running from Kennedy Town down to the south side of the island and back. I remember stopping off at a 7-Eleven and nearly climbing into the freezer to try and cool down. That was great. That was when I was a bit fitter than you were, but unfortunately my health has dropped off a cliff in the last year during the pandemic. I think these days you can beat me easily. Well, it's happened to all of us. I clocked in my fattest measurement in the last eight years just yesterday on the scales in the morning. I'm pretty health conscious. I try and monitor my health regularly. I weigh in every morning, try to monitor what I eat and drink. Yesterday shocked me, so I immediately went out and did a pretty slow half marathon and I feel better for it. <laughs> so moving on to leadership. Teladoc Health was founded in 2002 by two guys, Byron Brooks and Michael Gorton. And as far as we can tell, they no longer are associated with the company. Yeah, not sure about the history there, but a chap called Jason Gorovich has been CEO since 2009. We like to look at insider holdings. Jason's got less than half a percent of the company. That's pretty low, but I guess that makes sense if he's only been with the company for about 11 years and he's being comped slowly. I remember he's not a founder and he didn't own the company prior to joining as CEO. 0.5% doesn't sound much, but his holding is still worth around $110 million. So I think he's doing okay. Fair enough. I buy that. He's incentivized to look after shareholder interest. 
costs. And I noticed that the CFO and the COO are quite recent hires. A lady called Mala Murthy has been CFO since 2019. And a guy called David Sides has been COO since that time as well. Both of them have quite extensive experience. Mala Murthy was the CFO of Global Commercial Services at American Express prior to joining Teladoc. And David Sides has spent the last 25 years working in the health tech sector, including 17 years at the Cerner Corporation, a big supplier of health information technology services, devices and hardware. In total, Teladoc have got around 4,000 employees and their Glassdoor rating is pretty robust. They're rating the company as four out of five and they've given Jason a CEO rating of 95%. So those are pretty solid numbers. But let's look at their total addressable market and that is huge. Healthcare globally is a $9 trillion market and the US alone is $3.6 trillion. McKinsey have estimated that $250 billion of healthcare is ripe for virtualization in the US alone. Yeah, and Teladoc's revenue last year was only $1.1 billion, which is less than half a percent of this projected US market. Yeah, that's really exciting. There's a huge opportunity for growth ahead of them. Teladoc are not just live in the US, they've also got an international presence, sometimes through other brands that they've acquired. They have operations in the UK, France, Australia, Canada, Spain, Portugal, Hungary, China, Chile, and Brazil, and are accessible from 130 countries. It seems that international expansion remains a largely untapped market. And I'm actually quite surprised that they've expanded into so many countries already. Because I expected expanding into other markets to be quite difficult, given that healthcare systems are very different across the world. Maybe that's why they've been on an acquisition spree to buy their ways into markets where local providers have the knowledge for them to be able to embed and uplift their services more easily. I did notice that they bought a company called Medicine Direct in France in 2018, and they are a a major telehealth provider in that country. It's interesting that Teladoc can now bring their Livongo proposition into all of these markets through a process of acquiring local competition. They say they're live in the UK. I've got to be honest, I can't find an easy way to sign up as an end consumer. Actually, other countries may have their own telehealth companies and might be worth looking at for investment. For example, I've been looking at telehealth companies in China and I see that the main players are companies such as JD Health, Ali Health, We Doctor and Ping Angkuk Doctor. And recently I've initiated a starter position in Ping Angle's doctor. Hey, Albert, in Asia, traditional Chinese medicine, TCM, is a really big thing. Do you think you can get traditional medicine via telehealth? Maybe you could balance your meridians and increase your chi power through a USB port. <laughs> you joke, Luke, but I did a quick Google search earlier, and believe it or not, there is such a thing as digital homeopathy. I didn't go into it that much detail because uh, I have better things to do with my time. I would argue that homeopathy delivered digitally is just as effective as it is delivered physically. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I would definitely agree with that. You just don't want to be spilling any of that magical water into your keyboard. <laughs> Let's move on and look at their customers. They've actually had five types of customers. The first one are channel partners, which are healthcare plans. Then they have B2B direct channels, which are contracts with employers so that they can offer teledoc services to all their employees. Next, they have partnered with hospitals and health systems. Then they have agreements with insurers to offer their services to their customers. And finally, they have this direct-to-consumer model where consumers can sign up with Teladoc directly. I did have a look this morning to see if I could sign up in the UK. I can't find a way to do it, either through them or through their local partner, Best Doctor. It's pretty well hidden on the website if it's there. Well, to give you an idea of how big they are, Teladoc Health ended 2020 with around 52 million paid US members. This is an increase of 15 million members in 2020. But looking ahead, they're forecasting almost zero growth. They're expecting to end this year with just 52 to 54 million members. But surprisingly, 
decade, they also expect their revenues to grow by 80%. And one of the reasons for this is that they expect to earn more per member by offering them multiple services. And I think being pragmatic, they recognize that the pandemic has really accelerated their customer growth. Like you couldn't go to a doctor physically for a good chunk of 2020. So people, to some extent, are going to get back to normal operations. But having experienced the convenience of telehealth, you'd hope that they can retain a good chunk of those new consumers. I think that's right, Lou. Similar to e-commerce and companies like DocuSign, once you start using them and realize the benefits, you are unlikely to go back to the old way of doing things. Most of Teladoc Health's revenues comes from monthly member subscriptions. That makes up nearly 80% of their 2020 revenues. And the remaining revenue mostly comes from fees per visit. But these membership fees depend on the number of services offered in the contract. And an increasing number of members are on multi-product contracts, which results in higher revenue per user. I read a few months ago that dermatology has been a really big growth area for telehealth. It's one of those fields where a doctor can offer quite an effective service just with a high quality video. I think they've also added services such as nutrition and mental health. And these services tend to result in repeat visits. Let's talk about network effects a little bit because the network effects are working really well in Teladoc's favor. Their whole business model is about connecting patients with doctors. And so the more doctors and the more specialities they have on the network are going to attract more patients and vice versa. And I guess another network effect is that the more users that use their Livongo service will mean there's more data to improve the AI powering the digital monitoring and the health guidance that they provide. Yeah, and integrating their service with more and more devices just broadens access. So when you buy that network, fancy set of smart scales for your home, you might find that the integration with Lavongo is the thing that pushes you into signing up. And as we've said, they've been expanding very quickly. And as of now, they have over 50,000 clinicians globally. Their services are available in over 40 languages. Last year in 2020, they processed around 10.6 million visits for the year, 8.8 million in the US and 1.8 million internationally. And that's a growth of over 156% over 2019, which isn't surprising given the pandemic. Last year, Teladoc announced their primary 360 initiative, basically a virtual primary care service. They're trying to sell this as a hospital at home style feeling where you can schedule visits by video, build an ongoing relationship with your care provider and track all of your data in one place. So it just feels like a really nice joined up health solution. As we said, Teladoc Health have been expanding very quickly through acquisitions. They started with acquiring a company called Consultadoc back in 2013 and they have acquired many companies since then. And last year, Year, they acquired InTouch, a leader in hospital-based telehealth, which is established in 35 of the 50 largest healthcare systems in the US. And also last year, as we said, they acquired Livongo Health. And Livongo has had crazy growth itself. As of March last year, they had 328,000 Livongo for diabetes members, which is a tiny part of that total addressable market of over 30 million people with diabetes in the US alone. As of the current counting, in their February results, they reported 600,000 chronic care enrollments. So that's really growing the number of people that they're actively servicing through the Livongo Health platform. And I believe prior to the merger, Livongo Health was actually growing faster than Teladoc. And the company itself estimates that the immediate market opportunity for Livongo is around $46 billion, but also presents cross-selling opportunities, which allows them to sell Livongo services to existing Teladoc customers. And in the fourth quarter earnings call, they said that they have over 10 deals to bring Livongo 
Google services to other Teladoc customers. The CEO, Jason Gorovic, has recently said that they expect to see an additional $500 million in revenue by 2025 from the synergies between Teladoc and the Bongo. That might even be a little bit conservative based on those kind of growth numbers. It's really early in the journey of this joined up company. I think they're going to find a lot of efficiencies and ways that these companies can mutually support each other's objectives. We talked about the acquisitions they've done, but what about possible future acquisitions or really their competitors? Teladoc are the oldest and the largest telehealth platform, but competition is increasing fast. Yeah, their share price reached an all-time high of around $308 in mid-February this year, but it's currently down around 40% since then. And this has been due to a number of factors. One of them is the broad market sell-off. Another is the low projected customer growth in their last earnings call. But also there's a lot of news about increasing competition, especially from Amazon. A little while ago, Amazon announced its plans to roll out their own Amazon Care telehealth service to their employees. And this did hit a number of other companies in the healthcare sector. But to be honest, I think this is positive news. It validates the market. It proves that this is here to stay. And this news about Amazon is not new, but it seems that each new announcement about this causes Teladoc's share price to dip. It seems that investors have very short memories. And let's not forget Haven, which was a joint venture between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan, where they tried to disrupt healthcare. Well, that JV is disbanding after just three years. It's a really tough space to penetrate. It seems like this joint venture haven died a quick death. This reminds me, you sent me a link recently, deathclock.org, which estimates the day that you're going to die. I was quite reluctant to try this just in case I have six months left to live. It was quite interesting when we did try it though. It was. It turns out based on the country I live in and my BMI and my non-smoking status, but degraded by the amount of booze I drink, Death Clock reckons I'm going to make it to about 79 and a half. It gives a specific day. It actually predicts I'm going to die on your birthday in 2051. <laughs> yeah, I found that quite amusing. I guess I can celebrate two things that day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're only going to last about an extra two years, buddy. You better figure out how to edit this podcast before I'm gone, because you're going to be on your own for the last part. <laughs> okay, I'll start working on that now. Apparently, I'm going to live about two years longer than you. I think that's because I drink a lot less than you. The fact that you live in Hong Kong gives you an extra 18 months anyway. I guess it's a healthier lifestyle out there, despite the pollution. I don't know, but I have to say that this death calculation is not very sophisticated. It just basically asks you your age, your BMI, where you live, whether you smoke, how much you drink. They're just using statistics based on the global population to estimate you know when you're gonna die yeah it's a bit of fun but i suppose it is actually a very low-tech version of the kind of services offered by lavongo with their ai platform they can make much clearer predictions about your specific health and help you extend that death day perhaps by a couple of years i really hope their system is much more sophisticated than this death day calculation well hey but deathclock.org at the end give you a picture of a gravestone with your date of death on it i'm pretty sure that won't be part of the lavongo option <laughs> actually moving back to their competitors. The big four telehealth platforms in the US are Teladoc, Amwell, MD Live, and Doctor On Demand. As we said, Teladoc is the largest of them. And you mentioned earlier, Zoom themselves could even be a competitor. Zoom are HIPAA compliant, so that means doctors can use that platform to connect with their patients. Just to explain what HIPAA is, HIPAA stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which was enacted in 1996, and it contains regulations for using technology to provide healthcare, mainly around patient
protection privacy. Another one of our model portfolio picks, Twilio, also have a HIPAA compliant video conferencing platform. The whole video call platform is starting to become a commodity business, and perhaps in healthcare as well as other sectors. But even in this space, Teladoc have a more comprehensive service with a wider range of physicians and specialities. And they already have relationships with over 40% of the Fortune 500 companies. But I think the real advantage of Teladoc is the amount of data that they have and how it can be used to improve health outcomes for its customers. Let's just reflect briefly on that type of data. Your health data is really personal and really sensitive. I can't think of any piece of data where I would want such strict controls over data privacy. We didn't mention it so far, but Google have got their own initiative where they've partnered with Amwell to transform and expand access to virtual care. Google have plowed $100 million into Amwell as part of the agreement. Would you really want Google or Amazon having access to that data about you? Are you confident as the end consumer that that data is not going to be abused to sell you the next gimmick? You're right. It seems that Google follow you everywhere. I'm sure from within the Googleplex, these all seem like really ethical, good uses of data to try and improve people's lives. But there's a line and they're walking pretty close to that line at the moment. Maybe this is why they bought Fitbit recently. Yeah, that's interesting. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely trying to get closer to health biometrics. And another possible reason for the Teladoc price drop recently is that Teladoc is often viewed as a pandemic stock, which will see its usage decline as the pandemic comes to an end. As we said earlier, I think this is flawed thinking. As the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of telehealth, I think once you've experienced the benefits, you're likely to stick with it. Generally speaking, people are not going to stop getting sick anytime soon. I guess there are some types of ailments that you've got to go and see a doctor for physically. But if people become used to connecting with their medical practitioner on Zoom, well, maybe they're going to do that for at least some proportion of the conditions that they have. Actually, let's go into their financials a little bit more. Their revenue over the last three years has greatly increased. In 2018, it was around $418 million. And then this increased to about 553 in 2019. And in 2020, it reached 1.1 billion. It's easy to get a bit clouded by that huge growth last year, though. To some extent, that was them buying revenues through the acquisition of Lavongo. One thing I noted in the figures, revenues have increased substantially, nearly 100% year over year. But gross profit only increased about 90%. So that means their gross profit margins are getting eaten into. It's worth noting that Teladoc Health are not currently profitable and are running at a loss. Yeah, and their path to profitability isn't clear. They're going to have to keep plowing money into R&D and marketing. And there are probably many acquisitions still in the pipeline before they really scale out and become a profitable company. But let's not forget that huge total addressable market ahead of them. They've got a lot of scope to expand. And as of last Friday, the market cap of the company is around $29 billion, giving them a price to sales ratio of around 16, which is quite low for their growth rate. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's what attracted Kathy Wood's ARK Invest to plow so much money into Teladoc. Yeah, I read that they own around 9% of the company now. I wonder if that does pose a bit of a systemic risk in itself. If Kathy suddenly loses some of her bullishness on Teladoc Health and they decide to exit those positions, that could hurt other shareholders quite hard. Yeah, I think Teladoc is their fourth largest holding in ARK. Number one is Tesla. So we're coming to the end of the episode out, but we've looked through all the lenses, definitely some key positive and negative points. But what's your thinking? What's your plan now for your investment in Teladoc? I first invested in Teladoc in November last year, and I added more in January, and I've built a 1% position. And my aim this year was to build this up to 2% by the middle of the year, and that plan hasn't changed. I think the combination of Teladoc and Vongo was a key factor for my investment, as I see this as their competitive advantage. I first bought into Teladoc in February last year, and then I added to that position 
position in November, and I built up to a 4% position. I was even thinking about taking that up to a full position of 6%. With recent volatility, that's been nudged down to about 3.5% of my portfolio. Having done our research today, I'm excited by their potential total addressable market, but some of those financials do look murky and particularly hard to understand really what's happening with revenue growth post the Livongo merger. And I would share concern around their growth projections for 2021. I think in general, I'm pretty happy with about 3.5% of my portfolio. I'm going to try and use the service personally if I can, maybe me or maybe for my parents, if I can find a way to access them as a direct consumer customer in the UK. But right now, I think I'm going to leave my position where it is. And if you're interested in Teladoc Health and Levongo and other healthcare companies, we recommend visiting Richard Chu's Substack. Richard Chu is a prominent member of the FinTech community and he specializes in healthcare companies. So we'll leave a link to his website in the show notes. Well, good to get another deep dive for the model portfolio under our belt. Looking forward to writing up a one-pager for this one and we'll post it to the website in the next few days. But for now, I guess that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And if there's a future topic that you'd like us to cover, you can message us on Twitter. I'm at Albert Telescope. And I'm at Luke Telescope. Or you can email us at feedback at telescopeinvesting.com. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find more content at our website, telescopeinvesting.com, where you can leave us a comment or a review. And if this is your first time tuning in, perhaps consider subscribing so you're the first to hear about new articles and episodes as they drop. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Albert. This podcast is for general information and is not a recommendation to act. Please seek independent investment advice before entering into any financial transaction. Entering into a transaction that involves securities or derivatives puts your capital at risk. Luke and Albert are not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority or the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and the companies mentioned in this podcast may be held personally by us. We can't be held responsible or liable for any action taken by a listener, and as ever, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. Thanks and happy investing.